Hi and welcome back to the show. This is episode number 358. Today I am joined by Chris Jankulovsky. He is the founder and CEO of Remote Staff. Chris is the OG of remote work. He started this company over 13 years ago. And if you think of the concept of remote, how big and prolific it is now, it was nothing 13 years ago. The concept of remote did not even exist. And uh, offshore staffing uh, for the small and medium-sized business also didn't really exist. So Chris kind of started the category in a way for uh, offshore staffing for the small and medium-sized business. Uh, And he's been building his business since that time and really been leading the way in a lot of remote work standards and innovation. So it's great to have Chris on the podcast to discuss his journey. And I have been a friend of Chris for, for many years now and actually seen his business journey, but as well his personal journey. And he has a book also outlining his personal journey. Uh, The book is called Just Keep Going. And for reasons that you'll hear about, uh, Chris has had quite an incredible journey uh, personally, uh, and of course, also through business that we're going to hear about on this podcast as well. So it's a really good conversation with Chris about uh, the concepts of remote work and what it's about and the pros and cons of remote work and also where it's going. Uh, I really learned a lot and enjoyed this conversation, so I hope you do too. As always, if you want any of the show notes, go to outsourceaccelerator.com slash podcast. Enjoy. This podcast is brought to you by Outsource Accelerator. We are the world's leading outsourcing marketplace and advisory We help big and small businesses with their outsourcing needs, and we can help you too. We cover everything from offshore business and staffing strategy, optimal outsourcing structures, implementations, and fully managed services. If you are already outsourcing, about to start, or are somewhere in between, then we can ensure that you get the best from outsourcing. That's the best prices, best terms, and of course, the best results from your offshore operations. The Outsource Accelerator Marketplace now covers over 3,000 outsourcing firms, representing a global workforce of over 5 million people. We also host this leading outsourcing podcast, publish inside outsourcing, and have over 15,000 pages of content on the site. Because we span the entire market, we can ensure that you get the best deal possible. Get in touch today. Visit us at outsourceaccelerator.com slash quote. Also, if you find this podcast interesting or valuable, please share it. We have now produced hundreds of episodes featuring the outsourcing world's most prominent luminaries. Please show your support by sharing this podcast today. Chris Jankulovsky, welcome to the show. You are the founder and CEO of Remote Staff, and indeed you're the 
OG of remote work. I want to hear all about that in, in this episode. So thanks for joining us. Chris, Thank tell you for us, having me back. Yeah. what is remote staffing and, and how, you know, when did you start remote staffing? Well, I mean, uh, I feel like I'm the grandfather in the Philippines of remote working. Uh, can you believe I started the company uh, late 2007? So uh, with having the URL and the name of remote staff, uh, I, I, envisioned, I envisioned a long time ago that there will always there will come a time in the future as technology improves, the internet improves, where employers will strategically uh, make a decision with their staffing where they will have roles where they will sustain locally and there's a need for local roles as there would be for need for remote working roles. And then I thought since there will be a need for the remote working roles, then it made sense for those remote working roles to expand into more lower social economic environments, such as the Philippines, where you could access a greater talent pool uh, at far more cost-effective prices. And so that's uh, that's what I envisioned a long time ago in 2007. I just I just never envisioned that a pandemic <laughs> would lift the veil and accelerate remote working globally around the world. It's a phenomenal. Yeah, you were you were like skating towards the puck like kind of thirteen years ago, yeah. And, and as you say, like it, it's been sort of slowly growing. And I, I just find this trajectory of globalization incredible. Like we've got technology enabling globalization. We've just got you know all of the tools, mm. uh, communications, IT, and basically the world is moving into this kind of small little. Uh, um, you know, it's one marketplace now, super exciting. And then, as you say, like uh, COVID came along and everyone <laughs> is now sort of embracing remote work uh, and everyone has those tools. And it just seems like, um, you know, everything is poised to go remote now. But you were yeah. you were there 13 years ago. And so when yeah. you were trying to introduce the concept of remote work and offshore yeah. and globalized employees... Um, how were you received initially? Well, look, I mean, there's always that stigma from people, which I find mostly local uh, local workers, like in Australia, perhaps, uh, that don't understand that actually businesses need local talent for certain roles and need offshore talent. Uh, and offshore talent play a, a very important role in today's landscape. It's a much more common staffing strategy now. It's a fully integrated model into businesses now, so as into the operating models of a business. So at the heart of offshoring, the desire is to expand overall team productivity and growth of, of efficiencies in terms of how do you attract the talent, stuff like that. So at the beginning, there was there's such a stigma. Hey, you're stealing jobs from Australia, mate. <laughs> All these things. But over 13 years, what we've learned is that we are actually growing and strengthening our clients' businesses. And therefore, what we realize when they scale, it's funny that amongst some of my other suppliers and agencies like us, they're saying that their customers are growing with them. Well, what I find is that when we empower our customers, they tend to grow locally. They seem to grow like many more staff locally. Like there was a guy, that one of our clients, he, he had 25 staff when he started with us. He, I mean, his own locally, and then he had four from us. And now he's got maybe, I don't know, 10 from us, but he's grown to 40 locally. So he's grown more locally. 
So, and why is that? Because his business, as it grew, it needed more strategic, client-orientated solution, leadership management style people. And so, you know, the typical thing, if it's a reoccurring role, if it's a role that you think um, you've got the processes and systems, more importantly, to emulate, you've already done it locally and you want to emulate it remotely, they're the roles you can you could work remotely and succeed at, regardless if they're in the office or not. Uh, but the uh, but yeah, thank God today there's no the stigma is a little bit there, but it's not as bad today. It's really all about how the hell do I make it work? How do I change my management structure or my management approach? A lot of people are just unaware how to manage remote people, regardless whether they're in Australia, America, UK. Or in the Philippines. It's a management challenge. Management fundamentally is about, you know, everyone just cops it out to say, oh, it's a leadership thing, but it's really a management thing. Our clients and many clients out there don't have the remote management skills to really understand how do you build competency in your team? How do you build productivity in your team in a remote team, I'm referring? Right. And what are some of the tips? What are some of the, like, core foundations of successfully running remote teams? Look, it's not that difficult. It it is more involving than – because remember, remote staff, we were a virtual company for four years, for our first four years. (laughs) Then we went in an office at Trafalgar Plaza there at uh, Salcedo, a 1,000-square-meter office for nine years. Then COVID hit and we went remote again. Now we've been remote and now we're going to be permanently remote. (laughs) I don't want to ever go back in an office again. Um, so, the, and, and ironically, running the remote staff company remotely has encouraged me because of COVID. I used to have an Australian management team and a Filipino team. Now I'm 100% Filipino, proud to be 100% managed, led, well, by me, but, you know, 100% 80, 80 emails team that are all Filipino on every important roles you can imagine. So we're delivering amazing things. But remotely, we're delivering better, which is ironic. Uh, than the office. Nine years in the office versus one year now in remote in today's landscape compared to four years back before 2011 when we were remote, night and day, mate. There's so many more advancements we can make in terms of our culture, engagements, things that people you might hear about struggling with. We're accelerating and advancing because we've been solving the same damn problems for more than a decade. Um, so some of the basic little remote tips I could share for your audience are very simple. Mate, if you're gonna give, or if you're gonna give a job, uh, like anything, whatever you want to, you want to make sure it's happening. Uh, you know, other than all those systems and measuring and methodologies and training and stuff, forget about all that. Just do simple things. Give an instruction and give a deadline with it. <laughs> be reasonable. Be 100% clear. It's simple. Just give a deadline. That this way, the person understands that. They're accountable for that. You've made it. You, 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 you've helped them determine their priority. You, you, you've given them a sense of urgency, and they understand that. Look, okay, I, I understand your deadline. Get the feedback from them. Listen, you know this is unrealistic. Or hey, okay, get their buying. Let's say they say, okay, fine, that's fine. I, I could do that next week. That's fine. Thank you. Um, and when you give explicit instruction, don't just verbally give it. Don't just shoot it off in an email. You've got to do both. And in addition to doing both, you need to actually show them sometimes. Walk them through. You see this? You see that folder there? You see that there? 
this is what I want. Don't just say, hey, I, I need a summary or a report or something. No, no, say, I need specific status updates of blah, blah, blah. So what I'm referring to here is a simple management tip, set deadlines. The second one is assign clear responsibilities. I mean, it's common basic stuff here. You know, we, 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 you know the, the old analogy, <laughs> Uh, where everyone's responsible is where no one's responsible. <laughs> uh, so I'm just really referring to that. I mean, uh, 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 when you assign responsibility clearly, you're avoiding confusion, you're helping people uh, honor their commitment better, and you're giving people a chance to really work towards something that they want to work when you assign them the responsibility. And, and, and the third thing and, and the final thing is, you know, just explain the task. You know, be, be, be clear, know exactly what you want. Half the battle is most of, uh, especially, uh, you know, employees, there's so many dynamic moving parts and stuff, so they might not be that clear uh, with what they want. So, so if you're not, just be prepared to, to share the goal. Like this is the intention of what we're trying to deliver on. This is the direction. This is what the outcome we hope to achieve. How we get there, I'm not sure. Then openly share that with them and give them then the creative space and trust to apply themselves. Because Filipinos, when you've given them their boundaries, it's amazing how they rise to that occasion. They allow them to surprise you. You'll be, I love it. I'm always constantly surprised at talent in the Philippines. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's quite reassuring in a way because people see outsourcing as quite a daunting thing, quite complex, you know, and remote. But really what you've said there, they're just sort of, fundamental management concepts, aren't they? Just how to manage, how to uh, project manage, how to run a team, how to sort of uh, coach and guide people. They're they're sort of foundational skills that apply to employment and business generally, aren't they? Yeah, look, I mean, uh, overall, if you're an employer, I always have this sense. If I'm an employer, it's my responsibility to build competency in my team and to build productivity. If there's no productivity, it's my fault. If there's no competency in my team, it's my fault. <laughs> Simple. Mm. So if it's my fault and the onus is on me, then what am I going to do about it? Okay? So that's, that's, that's the overall basics. So if you want to hire somebody, just know that um, agencies like us and many others out there, you know, we, we, we endeavor to make sure we can find you the skill. We can find you somebody that you like, a little likable to work with. Um, you know, that, 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 that they tick certain boxes. We do a lot of – these days we use a lot of data and science in our recruitment as well. So we, we do a job assessment. We, we then pinpoint exactly who we're after. We try to determine behavioral co- uh, and cognitive qualities that you might be after. And then we try to put you with not just the right hire but with the right fit because in the remote work landscape, there's so many challenges that can, you know, flip this thing to go wrong. Uh, but – what we've learned over our 30 years experience is it, it all starts in recruitment. If we can place the right person uh, that, can, that, that, that really can support the client in what they need, uh, wow. Does the, we've seen the same relationship with the, with the same employer last over a decade. We're one of the very few agencies who've got the experience of remote working relationships lasting well over a decade. And I'm not yeah. talking one relationship. I'm talking dozens. And that's brilliant to see, isn't it? You know, because again, there's so much, uh, I suppose, um, you know, bad uh, 
knowledge about the the industry. People hear about high churn rates. People hear mm. about you know people are concerned about safety, security, um, and it's really not the case at all. Is it? You can get incredible, incredible staff, loyal staff, highly dedicated staff, highly capable, highly qualified, mm. um, and you know. As you say, you, you've you've got staff working with clients for over ten years. That's just incredible, isn't it? And it's almost unheard yeah. of in in Australia or the US. Well, a lot of people assume that they just do it all themselves. You see, they they you know a lot of people go to these office based suppliers because they rely on the infrastructure. And when they come to us, they go, "Well, what's your infrastructure?" Well, our infrastructure is our team, our knowledge. We know the nuances. We know exactly the barangays that have got. Bad flood zone area, warning areas, bad internet areas. We, we've already experienced it over and over. We know where Globe is good. We know where PLDT is good and shit. <laughs> so we know where not to hire, where to hire. These little things matter. All these little nuances. We know when, when, when we ask and interview somebody that, you know, Philippines is a codependent society, as you know. And so, and the family units at home, you know, it's not like one individual person living at home. There's often a whole damn crew of them. And so, you know, when there's, when there's turbulence now, especially at COVID times, my God, one family member gets COVID and all of them get COVID, it's distressing sometimes. And so, you know, and the Filipino people sometimes are embarrassed or, or shy to speak up to their white men and women bosses, you know. <laughs> it's quite intimidating. But that's why we're there. So they can confide to us, fellow Filipino, share their challenges, and then we can – ask for compassion for the clients and they're always more than supportive they're oh my god are you serious of course when you've got people who could deliver because our, our clients want simply two things they're cost sensitive like you know every dollar does matter and and they want results and when they're given people that they love that they can't live without that can deliver results for them and advance their businesses they want them looked after so that's where the natural journey that we, 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 we go on with these people. And, of course, uh, we look after the people, similar to like an office-based professional employment. You know, we manage the tax withholdings, which everyone is surprised, but we do, even though it's very damn difficult with the current, uh, you know, government, as I said, the, the processes there is designed when it comes to independent workers, self-employed registered people, the process is designed for one-to-one. There's no, like, institutional group submission of this stuff. So that uh, Republic Act, uh, what do they call it, the Social Security Act of 2018, it's designed for implementing of rules and regulations one-to-one. They've they got no framework to allow agencies like us to help facilitate group submissions of SSS, field health, and all the rest of it. Right. Yeah. It gets... Crazy complicated, doesn't it? And and all of this compliance thing is, it's a Pandora's box. You know, it, it just <laughs> gets so so complex. So you know, let's let's rewind a little bit. Like introduce mm. remote staff in terms of how you know if if you're talking to a prospect or a client, mm. um, what is the sort of the offer you offer people working from home? They can be located anywhere in the Philippines. Mm. You have an extensive sort of recruitment process. Do you provide the hardware or is it the staff providing? How, how do you sort of position your, your offering? Yeah, sure. So, look, we, we place a wide range of talent. We always have. Basically, they fall under two categories. It's either clients are either after support staff. Uh, they're, a, they're, they're a self-employed individual 
and maybe they've been in business for two, three years, maybe they've got one staff or two or three or four, and they maybe need their first or second, whatever, offshore staff. So these people come to us mostly for support. Then we've got the, and they represent about 65% of our clients. And then 35% of the, those that have got the teams uh, in Australia, for example, they've got like maybe five to 20 staff locally, and they more or less, and they need like maybe 30 to 10 people. We've grown companies that grow, I mean, some of our clients, we've grown many to 30, uh, a few to 50s. We've grown one to 94. That's our biggest account remotely. Uh, but most of the people come to us for, for, for talent that they need either part-time, full-time, that they, that they want to make sure that the person does have the skills that they require, that they, that they have the communication competency. Like our recruitment process, for example, um, you know, we, 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 we do it all upfront, obligation free. We, we believe that let us place the, the, let us find you the person you could like be, you, you will be over, over the moon with. And then honor us, uh, working with this individual through our platform. We provide a remote working technology. We don't provide the technology in terms of, um, we don't provide laptops and stuff for people. We do, we're not a large enterprise supplier. Uh, but we do work with the Filipinos and we do do tests to understand the equipment they've got, the internet uh, speeds at all times, their work environments. We, we validate their IDs. We validate their home addresses. We, we do the due diligence necessary. Um, but, but we do four English uh, comprehension tests because the two biggest challenges in remote working and in offshoring in general, whether it's in office or remote, is – English and cultural. So by conducting full English tests on comprehension and stuff, we, 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 we've, we've radically improved that. And, and to reduce the cultural gaps, we, we've, we've adopted the behavioral and cognitive assessments and skill assessments, putting them all together helps us find the remote worker that we know is demonstrating independence, which is a critical attribute when you're working from home. Self-starters, you know, able to um, work independently. Like uh, you give them something that they could, they could kind of have a little bit of the foresight to move it a bit forward. Certain qualities that we've discovered over the last thirteen years that we've we've observed relationships that exceed as, as succeed versus those that don't. A certain qualities like that. Um, of course, we do like everybody else, reference checks and stuff. We sample work. We evaluate the home working environment, as I said, um, but we do. We have a large array of, of talent. We're, we're a brand employer there. We 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 have a payroll guarantee as well. <laughs> uh, our billing model is so different from everybody else because what we do is everyone doesn't. Maybe maybe people might say, "Oh, I don't like it that it's all like this one hourly rate." But it's one hourly rate that embodies everything. Our service fees, which are very competitive up to 50% lower than most of the office suppliers, um, you know, hovering maybe sometimes close to them. Now, if they don't work an hour, they don't get paid and we don't charge. See, we don't have any fixed fees. Everything's prorated. And we customize their own billing technology. So if the dollar, whether it's American, UK pound, you know, Canadian, New Zealand, Australian dollar, whatever, if it goes up, we pass that forex saving to the to the client on a month to month basis. If it goes down in value, we pass on that additional cost of forex. Uh, we don't just charge flat in US; we charge wherever you are in the currency you are, 
and every every month it, you see your invoice, which which is one hourly rate. It makes it simple. It's easy. And then when you do make a pay, when you want to make a payroll increase, and you want to pay a bonus or something, it all goes 100% to the staff. Similar to like how, you know, in office-based suppliers, you have this one fixed service fee, except our fees and benefit contributions, all this stuff is not fixed, none of it. It's all embodied into this one hourly rate, making it easier for billing. And we need that to happen for us because we have a dynamic billing system that we've custom built. How are you seeing attitudes change towards outsourcing? You know, 13 years ago, people are pretty anti it, but now, and you know, now of course people are embracing remote work. How mm. is? Do you think it's got to a tipping point where everyone knows about outsourcing? Everyone will will be outsourcing soon. You know, because I think eventually there will be mm. a point where a hundred percent of businesses will have offshore staff in some capacity. I think it's only a matter of time, whether it's 10 or 30 years away, but we will get there where it just is, it's a default for businesses to employ globally. How do you see the attitudes towards outsourcing? I can share a story. Um, 13 years ago, I was interviewed by the 730 report, a respected ABC kind of uh, current affairs kind of show. (laughs) Oh, I'll never forget it. They interviewed me for four hours. They were assessing everything, reviewing everything, asking all these questions. And at the end, all they did was quote me one little bloody five-second clip, and which was a warning to the Australians to say, watch out, your jobs are at risk. That was it. <laughs> <laughs> so the media and the public 30 years ago were afraid that um, jobs were going to get stolen. But, 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 but the truth always appears uh, – as time passes on, and then now, 13 years later, everyone from government to businesses to I think even employees locally are starting to recognize that actually, hang on a minute, jobs aren't being stolen, businesses as a result are getting stronger, and there's been a shift in certain roles. It's not typical in any industrial era shifts and movements. Now we're shifting the knowledge era, just like how in the manufacturing industry, there was a lot of manufacturing processes and work being off, offshore in the early, late 90s and early 2000s. Now it's been happening for the last decade or two in the white collar roles. So this is the norm. Uh, and, it, and I don't think it's uh, 10, 20, 30 years. It's already a common strategy, mate. Every mm. business, it's a question of, are you integrating your business operating model with an offshore team? If you haven't done that yet, you don't have a competitive advantage at the moment that's so simple to get, which is work and make productive work with offshore team and a local team. If you can do that, you're going to be having a competitive advantage at the moment. But yes, maybe 10, 20 years from now when everyone has got that in their business model, like they've got a local team and an offshore team, then where is that competitive advantage going to be since everyone's got that? The next frontier is how do you how do you advance productivity? How do you advance outcomes? How do you advance delivery? That's that's where it's at. And 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 that's what we're always striving to work towards. Yeah, but I mean I, I think like employment and, and business is always trying to optimize processes and things like mm. that. But if you look at the the offshoring component itself, that sort of sits kind of to the side or or above or or somewhere mm. else. You know, I think there's there's one aspect of are people eventually going to recruit globally by default? And then, of course, yeah, we always want to sort of uh, 
increase automation, uh, tools, efficiency, productivity, get more out of your workers, have happier, more productive workers. Um, but, you know, are we going to hire locally and be constrained by uh, local or is it going to go global? And we're seeing, you know, huge trends because you've got all of these other companies like uh, uh, Remotive and Remote and Let's Deal, which are all of these sort of employer of record and in theory trying to facilitate globalized employment. But it's still a long, long way from yeah. happening because it is such a thorny kind of complicated area to try and have one globalized employment structure. Uh, it's it's so I've never I've never dared yet go global. Uh, but our philosophy of remote stuff is really we, we, we want to help provide job opportunities in the emerging markets, and we want to provide, um, you know, to our clients that are cost sensitive, where every dollar matters, uh, affordable talent. And affordable doesn't mean bad quality. Huh? <laughs> it's a default. It's got to be quality. It's got to be top talent. Top talent doesn't exist just in offices. As a matter of fact, thanks to COVID, we're now attracting a lot of top amazing talent. So many talent that do not want to go back to the offices. Where do you think they go to? They come to us. Hey, I want a job permanently remote. <laughs> Done. Uh, so that's the new landscape today. And 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 the global hiring a team globally. Like in the future, I do envision remote stuff hiring in other locations in emerging markets where we want to bring uh, international, you know, employers in the Western world to these countries to upskill them and provide them new opportunities to work from home. Uh, not from offices uh, because, you know, it's nice that our lives can matter in some way. You know, uh, you know, it's nice that we can make a difference. And, and, and I think it's all about compassion, isn't it? Like, I mean, we've got to understand that in these emerging markets, the, the people we hire are often the breadwinners in the family. They've got such family responsibilities, as you know, in the Philippines. Isn't it amazing? So we want to honor that family responsibility, that obligation by providing them payroll, by making sure payroll is done on time, by making sure they've got genuine employers, genuine agency that's committed to sustaining their remote working career. Um, this is important. And also the compassion to get out of that bloody Manila traffic. It's crazy. So even, be, even before COVID, I mean, the average commute was an hour and a half each way. That's three hours. That's equivalent to one month of your life gone. You don't want that. If you have a good quality worker, you don't want that to be the case for them, the price that they pay, let alone the price that they pay for looking after their families. You give them a bonus, it goes 100% to, to the family, not to your staff. You give a bonus to my staff here in Australia, it goes straight to the extra second or third latte. You know, it's a big difference. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. You know, I, th I think the, the key there, it's the optionality, isn't it? You know, and maybe back when remote was kind of a fringe, kooky kind of thing, that it was only a, a small range of jobs and candidates that were, that were kind of into remote, whereas now it's, it's so normalized. And as you, can, you know, as you say, mm. you're getting the best candidates out there because there's people that We're want shocked. to work at mm. home and feel that they can have a meaningful career from home. So it's and, and you know what I love most? It's evolving so fast. Oh, it's evolved. And, and one of the things, thanks to COVID, one of the things that we, we're getting now is this whole other level of class of talent uh, in who are open to remote. Because before COVID, remote with these you know, more senior capable people to, in, in leadership or management roles or whatever it is, in certain, some, some, some kind of roles, 
there was a stigma amongst the Filipinos in their families. Ah, what do you mean? You don't have a real job. It's remote. What are you talking about? <laughs> well, now it's legit. Now the veil has been lifted. No, you can't be as productive as you can be remotely. You can't be um, a, a breadwinner. You can't look after your family remotely, all this stuff. So now these people are saying, actually, now that I've learned that I can work from home, you know, you know, the, the only issue we have is that, you know, it's very taxing for certain people uh, who are, um, you know, mothers and, and are professional and they have to homeschool or look after their children. It gets a bit tough. But what we've noticed and what I'm proud of is that I've been responsible for creating thousands of barangay kings and queens, mate. <laughs> These are people who live in the provinces have, have united families together and have gone back to Cebu or back to their province four hours out of Manila somewhere. They've gone out of Manila because the prices that the Filipino family pays because there's no jobs. Sometimes in the provinces they come in and now when they work remotely and they feel they've got security and assurance, they go back to the provinces. So it's been good to see where we're making these barangay kings and queens, as we say. Yeah, I mean, it's incredible for the for the economy, isn't it? It's actually distributing the wealth outside of the city centres and into the provinces and mm. uh, giving people everywhere an opportunity to kind of tap into the Western economy. It's, it's so, so powerful, such an, uh, yeah, brilliancy, brilliancy. I, there was a report released recently, Chris, mm. saying that 38% of remote staff work from the bed and 19% work from a closet. Um, what do you think in terms of, is, is it efficient working at home? Look, I work from home a lot and I work hard and I'm disciplined. But I know, Chris, when I was 21, I, I did not have the same level of discipline. Um, and if Netflix was there, I, I probably would have taken the Netflix option. Um, how do you feel about you know this? How do, how do we sort of teach discipline and dedication to the youngsters? I think I think it's not teaching the youngsters this. I think it's more teaching the employers humanity. They just have an, a compassion and understanding of the landscape we're in today, <laughs> and that this is the future. This is the norm. And so, I think you know, you know, Filipinos want to be like like most people. They want to they want to learn. They want to grow. They want to they want to contribute. They want to make a meaningful difference. That they, they they know that they've been respected team value members in in the organisation. So they they're committed. We find we we find two breeds of workers. They're either going to be productive or they're not. When they're not able to work remotely, it is so evident. We manage their screenshots. We manage idle screens. We know when they're not doing shit. <laughs> you know, we, we can see it. We know the applications they've got running on the computers only one time. We do this not because we want to share it necessarily with the employers, but we do this because our job is to keep them accountable for, on behalf of our employers because they've got the autonomy to work from anywhere they want. And so, like, when we manage this stuff and we see them, we don't, t- we don't dob them into their clients. We speak to them. We call them up, some of these young people, 23, 24, and we say, hey, man, look, it's good on you for taking a lunch break for two hours, but seriously, you've got an obligation and, you, and, and you're counted on it, and the people want to rely on you. And, mm-hmm. and we just got to give context, isn't it? It's a narrative. It's a story. Once we tell them that story, like, listen, man, look, I understand it's basketball season. You want to watch the news and stuff, but take all the – whatever the bus, just take it easy. Like it's a bit obvious that your, your focus is being distracted at the moment. Your productivity clearly has dropped. Um, 
We work with them, we, but they don't, you don't have to passionate way, as I always say. You, you, we're not driving machines here. I'm not Amazon, for God's sake. <laughs> Amazon is trying to ro- robotize people. That's ridiculous. They, they can track you, where you move, how long you've stood, what you're saying, what are you currently doing. That's not, I don't know. I don't believe in that philosophy. I believe that we've got this one life, we've got this one existence, we are here, and let us try to work at something that could provide us a sense of purpose, a sense of meaning, a sense of contribution, a fulfillment, and let us do that in a humane way. We don't need to drive hard. Uh, driving hard discourages trust, discourages productivity, and I think it's always finding a balanced approach. If you're going to choose remote working or with us as, as your supplier, you need to have an understanding of 90%, I always say. If you want 100%, we're not the right supplier for you. You want 100% uptime, you want 100% perfect things, perfect computers, perfect internet, perfect, don't come to us. But if you're willing to tolerate 90%, well, we can, we can provide you talent from all over the nation. We can provide you commitment, productivity, reliability, people that you would be talking to your friends and going, I can't live without this person. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, what's, that's what's available. Uh, but you've got to have that tolerance ability. If you have that high uh, demand, and that's fine because there's certain roles like I do. I have certain roles that I do require 100% plus than I hire locally or I would hire somebody uh, you know, in, a, in a different setting. Uh, but there's a lot of roles where I don't necessarily need 100% all the time. 90% is sufficient. I'm happy to take a ma- – like are you telling me I'm going to pay a service fee of $600 or half that service fee for, if, I, if I'm willing to tolerate 10% you know, possible risk of uptime? It's a risk. It's not across the board with everyone. It's, a, it's across some members. Family issues, COVID issues happen, internet issues with typhoons and stuff, floods, and just part of the landscape. If you're willing to tolerate it, you will benefit. And that's the reality of any business anywhere, isn't it? Even onshore staff, you know, untoward things happen. You, you can't, no one's a robot, you know, and people no. have downtime and people leave and this is life, isn't it? And that's business. And it, it's just, I like, you know, your angle of, of humanize it. You know, these are people <laughs> uh, and they're going through their own life and career and, and treat them like they're people and you'll get the best out of them. And, and some aren't suitable. Um, no, that's you know. And it's obvious when they're not, right? Like, say, when you, if I was to hire you at 21, mate, it would have been a giveaway, <laughs> right? Uh, same with me. I, you know what's funny with me? I actually prefer working uh, a, a little bit in an office. Like, say, maybe I, when I had the office for nine years in the Philippines, I loved it. One week I was there in the office. I had a chance to collaborate. I had a chance to meet face-to-face people, talk to them. That camaraderie thing is I love but mm. we're achieving it remotely with uh, a lot of Zoom sessions, a lot of sessions where we play together, maybe work out together, maybe do some funny karaoke stuff, engagement stuff. you got to socialize remotely. That's the funny thing that most employers have forgotten, the, the water cooler experience. Mate, yeah. that's important. Play it in the remote setting. It's okay. It's okay if there's a little bit of mucking around. The Filipinos love it. They will never forget how you made them feel during those times, especially what more now in remote settings, in this bloody lockdown environments and isolated scary times out there with fear everywhere. Give them the chance to have fun remotely. It's okay, collectively. 
And what about the work day, Chris? Do you do you still subscribe to sort of work eight hours, have an hour lunch, or are people now working across the 12 hours and maybe a little bit on Saturday? How, how do remote workers structure their work week? Now, look, uh, thanks for asking that question. We still are old school. I'm still traditional. <laughs> I, I'm traditional because I love the idea of habits and routine because when you're working from home, you've got to set boundaries. And so – I love the idea that I provide clear boundaries for my team. I say, hey, you're starting, you're following the Australian time zone or, or American client time zone or whatever it is. You're, following, you're working at the same time so that you can build momentum with the team so you can become a team member. You start here, you finish here. This is your lunch break. Why, does this, why is this important? Again, habits and routine. Boundaries, those, that's it. Now, flexibility and remote working is awesome for freelancers. Be a freelancer if you want that. Do not want. Do not be a remote team member. If you want flexibility, and you know, in every way, you got to go freelance. But then freelance, you don't have the insurances. You're going to be up and down with your, with your. You know, when the money comes, the money's going to flood. When the jobs come, you're going to be flooded. So you're going to be working like a dog, and then you're going to be starving like a dog. <laughs> it's this typical freelancer journey. Uh, that's a very different journey. It's more of a I call it an entrepreneurial, like stepping stone journey. That's great if you want to represent yourself and do that. But, but remote working via agencies like Asset Remote Staff or BPO, like we're BPO, we're a peasant company as well. But like, I mean, you know, for an office supplier as well, we all want to represent the talent. It's in our vested interest to look after that talent and to look after the client to, to succeed because we make such an upfront investment then we don't get to see a return for, 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 for half a year, you know, because we've invested so much. Yeah, it's very much a long-term play, isn't it? And this is relatively low margin. I mean, this huge cost of goods sold, obviously, you know, the vast majority of the cost goes into the employee's salary and, of course, all of those uh, operations. So, mm. Chris, I wanted to talk about your, your upcoming book as well. It, it might be the first <laughs> time, you know, I've had an author on this podcast or certainly one <laughs> about to to publish a book. So tell us, uh, we've known each other for quite a few years now, Chris, mm. but tell us tell us about your quite unique journey that you've been on. Yeah, well, so, so, at, so at the age of 19, I was diagnosed with a hereditary condition called von Hippel-Linder syndrome. Basically, it said at the time that you'll be dead by 30, you're going to have tumors and cancers all over your major organs. You've probably got them now. Man, I became an angry young man when I was diagnosed like that in my 20s. I had these wild travel adventures across America and everything else. But, uh, but the funny thing is, even with the fact that my mortality was often a question and I had this serious condition, I often returned from my wild adventures and my wild times as a young man asking that question, well, what am I going to do with my life? Um, I was always craving even if I had a short life expectancy for purpose, I just wanted to make my life matter in some way and count in some way. And so uh, I decided to become an entrepreneur. I had all these adventures and stuff. But in 2005, a brain operation, uh, literally because I've ignored my condition in my 20s, nearly killed me. And then uh, they scanned the rest of my body and they discovered that I got cancers in my right kidney, 95%. My left kidney's got cancers. Mate, I, I removed my right kidney. I told them all off. I told all the doctors off. I said, guys, stop with cutting into me. That's it. Let's just take a year off. I'm a dead man anyway. 
Let me take a year off in 2006. I'm going to travel the world. My second chance for life is to enjoy as many women as I can online <laughs> all around the world. So that's a true story. And I write about all these things. And um, that's how I fell in love with the Philippines. That's how I fell in love with my wife and found my wife, who's a Filipina, Rika. For me, remote stuff is a love story because I fell in love with the people, the, the country, and the opportunity, and, all, and of course, my wifey. <laughs> I, I then talk about you know, building a dream life, being the digital nomad, and all this stuff, uh, building wealth, uh, making a contribution, enjoying having a sense of purpose and stuff. Um, you know, really, it's really awesome uh, in this offshore landscape because you're helping fellow entrepreneurs achieve their dreams and achieve their business objectives. You're helping Filipinos achieve their family obligations and, 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 and sustaining them in a, in a much more friendly, balanced work environment at home. Um, it's, it's really good feeling. But then, you know, health challenges persisted with me. And in 2016, in September, I had two brain tumors. I was also running realestate.ph, a real estate portal, going up against Seward, Lamudi, uh, Property24, oh, well, that's all these people. And, um, and I had uh, two brain tumors that one burst in the operating room when we removed it. I went from an operation to remove two tumors to all of a sudden having to fight for my life. And I had to relearn how to walk and talk. It took me eight months, mate, to learn how to walk again. I really... I've had so many – I've had eight near-death experiences, and second chances are hard to get, right? And I've had eight of them. So um, all these health challenges and all this stuff simply have strengthened my resolve to be the best version of myself and to, and to strive to make my life count as much as I can. And isn't it funny? Because when you get shattered the way, the way I have, spiritually, emotionally, mentally, physically, you know, and you get back – Time and time again, that's what I titled the book, Just Get Going. <laughs> um, it, 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 it's funny. I think my story is powerful because it demonstrates the critical attributes of being a successful entrepreneur, that being grit and determination. If you just keep going, it's all worth it. So, you know, I mean, wow. I mean, talk about uh, having uh, challenges, right? I mean, I've, I've had heaps of them. And, um, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm now – so I wrote the book. I wrote my whole story there as a memoir. I gave the book to a few people uh, to, to see feedback and whatever it is. We've spent like five years writing it. I've, I've spent a fortune uh, with ghostwriters and everybody else's system. He's very up to a professional standard already. But I was not satisfied with people just hearing my story and then completely kind of getting swept away by the entertainment of the story or by whatever and missing the learnings from those near-death experiences, those perspectives, those distinctions. So just before COVID hit, I hired a resilience consultant. I said, do you mind if you could read my manuscript and just point, put a spotlight on how I respond to adversity versus a more common response? So she read my manuscript five times. We had a Zoom meeting. There was supposed to be one or two. It turned out to be 26 Zoom sessions, Derek. And from that, we discovered a reoccurring thinking pattern uh, at the, you know, th that was happening in my life over, over, the, over the, I'm 48 now, so, so over those 20 plus years. And, um, and then, then we were attempting to write a course uh, on the side, which we've already created, which were, has five courses, which is flourish through adversity, 
course one. Course two, live like it's your last year live every year because that's what I do. Uh, the course three is control what you think to control what you do. Course four is achieve a deep level of satisfaction and fulfillment. And course number five is live up to your full potential and create a lasting contribution. Now, when I went to pitch to publishers, I realized that many of the publishers do not want it to be this memoir with a course at the touch. They want it to be a cross between a memoir and a personal development book. So now we're in the middle of doing a, a structure edit change in my manuscript to incorporate the learnings into the story so that it's more clear. And, and that's what I hope to share with the world uh, very soon. I think it's a very compelling story. I think it's a very timely story because we are now all living with COVID and all its uncertainties. Uh, but I've been living with uncertainties since I was diagnosed at 19, more than 29, 30 years ago. So um, I've got a lot to share. Yeah, it's a crazy journey, Chris. And, you know, I've, I've seen you sort of uh, go through these challenges and, and come out the other side and, uh, you know, I saw you learn to to walk again, and yes. just incredible challenges. You know that that just, I suppose, emotionally and spiritually would would do mm. the average person in. You know, and yet you're you sort of keep coming, bouncing back, and you know, writing back. books and building bigger businesses, and it's it's incredible to see. Chris. Buying more dream homes, <laughs> dream yeah, cars. Yeah, yeah, you do a lot of the dream and, and, home and, 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 and living and living a dream life because hey, I'm here. I recognize my time. I'm grateful for this opportunity to be here. I don't take my days lightly. I yeah. value them very much. And what is the answer? Is it, is it to live for the day or is it to live like you're going to be a thousand years old? Because if you, uh, you know, if you live for the day, then there's no point in building anything long term. Huh? Yeah, look, I don't, I, don't, I don't go by that notion of live, live as if it's your last day every day. I can't be strategic that way. I, that's why I said in one of my courses, I live as if it's my last year every year. That way I've got perspective of what's, what am I really targeting for for the year. I've got something to go for. Uh, I, I, I can I I could be strategic in, in how I choose to live my life. And um, I can plan uh, with, with what I do. So I love it. I mean, every year I, I share uh, in, in the story how – I mean, I know vision boards are uh, a bad – I mean, you know, nobody thinks much of it, but – for me, they're life changes because I link uh, because I'm very visual. As I'm a very creative, visionary kind of person, so I love setting a goal and then getting a visual image to link it to the goal, because that allows me to have focus, allows me to have discipline throughout the year, and it re- re- reminds me of what was important that I'm striving for all year. If it really was my last year, I want to make sure that I'm, you know, not burning time. F- drifting around here or there or finding myself in some circumstances that don't necessarily lead me towards where I'm striving, striving towards going. So uh, I live a very purposeful life, yeah. Yeah. Well, gosh. Chris, I'm going to be buying the book when it's published. When, when, <laughs> when do you expect this? When, when are you well, hoping to get um, the book out? So the book, uh, the, uh, uh, I mean, I've got the website, justkeepgoing.com. Um, the, now that we are restructuring it all, uh, I'm not sure. The work, the work, so I've spent five years writing the book up to this point, up to a professional standard. And now I'm doing a flip. <laughs> and so I'm, not, I'm really not sure. I mean, uh, I don't know. Uh, all I know is I've got it all created, but now I've got to put it together in a new way. I'm excited about it because, I, you know, I really hope 
that I can make a contribution and give people the perspectives they need. Because even the way it is in its current form as a manuscript, as a, as a memoir, a lot of people did call me up and or send me messages and say, listen, Chris, I had a bike accident. I had my back. Uh, I did something to my back. I, I lay low for two years. I read your book. I finally picked up my life. I realized, what am I doing wasting time? Or somebody else was abusing, you know, they were overweight or they weren't looking after themselves and they realized, look, I'm just making excuses. I'm the one responsible for my life. It's my life. I, it's my happiness. Let me make, let me control what I can control. That's a lot of, a lot of people's takeaway is control what you can control. Just focus on that and gratitude. Good man. Yeah. Well done, Chris. Incredible, incredible journey. I'm looking forward to the book. So that is just keep going. And there's the website for that as well. Mm-hmm. And of course, like people should reach out and have a chat to you uh, and your team about mm-hmm. outsourcing. And I just always encourage everyone to, to just have that phone call and see how it can transform your business and see how it can be implemented and integrated into what you're doing. Uh, so Chris, how do people get in touch or learn more about remote staff? Yeah, look, uh, we, we you can just go search us either remotestaff.com or remotestaff.com.au. Um, we have uh, we do end-to-end recruitment. So when you speak to our lead recruiters, they're going to try to understand what you're trying to accomplish, what you need, what's missing for your business, what are your kind of you know skill gaps or or capacity challenges uh, or inabilities when it comes to talent, and we will work to to actually target exactly, we determine with you who we're going to target and then we go about targeting and endorsing those candidates. It's all obligation-free. You know, so long as you're genuine, if you're genuinely after a team member, please do call us. If you're after task or freelancers and stuff, we, we, we can't accommodate that. Our business model can't, mm. can't, can't deliver that. We can't get a return on that massive upfront investment to find you the team member. So um, that's uh, what we do. Uh, but but give, give us a shot. You'll, you'll be surprised with the talent that we can find for you. Obligation free. You, just because we're putting all this work, I don't want you to. I don't want you to hire anyone or feel like you've got to hire somebody. I mean, we want you to. We want to prove to you the talent first, and give us a chance to let us prove to you the talent that's remarkable remotely. <laughs> Again, I encourage people to reach out just because it can be so transformative and just start that uh, conversation, Chris. Jan Yulovsky, thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks, mate. It's a pleasure talking to you. Thank you for having me on the show. That was Chris Jankulovsky. He is the CEO and founder of Remote Staff. As always, if you're on any of the show notes, go to outsourceaccelerator.com slash podcast. And if you want to email us anything, then just send us an email to ask at outsourceaccelerator.com. See you next time.